there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Ospensky's eighth precept in the fifth way is the seven centers are arbitrary intellectual constructs. In reality, they do not exist. The purpose of self-observation is to see that the centers do not exist and that we do not exist. Well, if we don't exist, what are we doing here? We're attempting to observe ourselves so that we can see that the seven centers do not exist and that we do not exist. Well, then, how can we observe what doesn't exist? That's a good question. Probably by believing in what doesn't exist. If you believe in something that doesn't exist, what is that? Well, it's imaginary. So essentially, Ospensky's saying that imaginary eye doesn't exist and that the seven centers in imaginary eye don't exist. Okay, and while we're finding out that they don't exist, what are we supposed to do? The work speaks of centers and parts of centers. A lot of people have become fixated on these concepts, missing to what they point. This is a normal way of doing things for people like us meaning people who have false personalities, people who have egos, people who have separate identities, people who live on the planet Earth. The way we do things is we become attached and identified with them. And once we become attached and identified with them, we cannot distinguish ourselves from them, and we begin to defend them and uphold them and guard them as if we were guarding our very life. This is a problem. I say it's a problem because it creates a tremendous amount of conflict, war, confusion, and just general nastiness on the planet. It's not a problem if you like confusion, war, and general nastiness on the planet. If, if, that's, if that's what you like, if you're a soldier and you like war and you like conflict, okay, then you do that. I think there is another way to live life, and that's what I would like to do. But if that's what you want to do, okay, then do that. I don't want to get into a conflict with you about it. I don't want to oppose your right to do that. Ultimately, you have the right to do whatever it is that you can conceive and do. If you can conceive it and you can do it, then you do have the right to do it by the very fact that you can conceive it and you can do it. That is the right to do it. Obviously, something gave you the right to do it if you can do it. Moralists will get involved in this whole big thing about that, and that's fine. Then that's a whole big thing that they can get involved in, and that, that can be like the city of New York. If you want to live in New York, you can go live in New York. I don't want to live in New York City, so I don't live in New York City. I don't want to live in Los Angeles, so I don't live in Los Angeles. I don't want to do that. That's not where I feel comfortable. That's not where I feel that I should be. That's not where the flow of my energy goes. It goes here. This is where the flow of my energy has brought me. And this is what I want to be doing. This is what I enjoy doing. This is what I like. When the work speaks of the centers and the parts of centers, the seven centers, the intellectual center, the emotional center, the instinctive center, the moving center, the sex center, the higher emotional center, and the higher intellectual center. It speaks mostly of four centers, and it breaks them down. Thank you. The moving center and the instinctive center groups them together as one. So it doesn't really group them together as one, but for purpose of speed and talking and defining things, it just lumps them together because it does. We don't talk much about the sexual center, higher 
intellectual or higher emotional because we don't know much about them. And what we do know can't really be talked about so much. So we don't talk about it so much. In Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 20, there's a story that other people from a different way have gotten fixated on. So the people in the fourth way get fixated on the centers and the parts of centers. The people in some parts of Christianity get fixated on this story. I'm going to read the story to you and try and read it without becoming fixated, without becoming entangled in it, and see what it might reveal. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. And he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, a lot of people have heard this story before. A lot of people in Christendom have heard this story before. They even have a name for the story, the prodigal son. What people are set up to take from that story is he was a bad boy and he went and did bad things, but then he, he saw the error of his ways. He repented of his sinfulness and he returned to his father and his father forgave him and he was restored. And it's a story of forgiveness and grace and compassion. And that's all wonderful. And it's exactly like the centers and the parts of centers. People get attached to it, fixated on this, and they miss the point. There is a lot more to this story than there were two kids. And one of them said, give me what's mine. And he went and squandered it all. And then went, boo-hoo, and take me back. And father said, okay, come on. And the other brother said, well, I don't think I like this. You know, and you have that whole thing. You have that whole story. So there, there are all these stories in there. You had the whole story about the other brother who didn't like the younger one going and spending it all because he didn't get to go spend all his and then come back. So he was jealous. He was making his little brother wrong, which is probably why his little brother left him in the first place. Now I'm making stuff up. But that's what people do with these stories. They make stuff up. When we look at the outer part of this story, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the seven centers. There's nothing wrong with the story of the prodigal son. That's fine as far as it goes. Looking at it from the outside, looking at a nice house from the outside, you see the house. Oh, look at that. Look at the chimney they probably have. They have three chimneys. Does that mean they have three fireplaces in that house? Wow, that's nice. Oh, I look at look at all the stonework there. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, and I just love the windows. The windows are so nice. And the color of the house, isn't that great? The way they put those two colors together, they're so complementary, yet they don't clash. Yes, wonderful. And the design of the house, and the outside of the house, and the size of the house, and how many stories it is, and on and on and on about that. And the great landscaping, and the driveway. But you're still not inside the house. And even if you do go in the house and you get into the entryway and you, oh, isn't this a great entryway? And look at this vaulted ceiling. And oh, look at this. And look at this staircase. And look at this. That's nice too. But there's more to it. 
Well, you would think after all this time, people would start to get to know this house better than just look at the outside and just repeat what a nice outside of this house this is. Really, we're invited into this house. The fourth way invites us into the centers and the parts of centers until we can lose the centers and the parts of centers. If you go into the house, you lose the outside of the house, don't you? It no longer is this big imposing thing to you anymore. You are now in it. And to see the thing about the fourth way and the thing about Christianity and the thing about Judaism and the thing about Buddhism and all of this is it's not something to look at from the outside. It's something to enter into. It's something to become familiar with. It's something to live in and have live in you. It's something to keep the elements off of you. It's something to protect you. It's something to keep you warm. It's something that it's, it's more than just the outside and how it looks or the address or what kind of a neighborhood it's in or whatever. Esoteric teachings point to an inner psychological spiritual space or country not to be taken literally. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Paul wrote, Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. There are two things here that I think are important. One is, we in and of ourselves are not adequate. And so we need esoteric teachings. We need something to come from outside of our system, outside of our frame of reference, outside of us. If the only thing that you can understand comes from your level of understanding, you can never understand anything higher than your level of understanding. It's that simple. You have to have something from outside of your level of understanding. If you can have something from outside of your level of understanding and you can understand from that level, then you can understand yourself. But you cannot understand yourself from within yourself. But you can understand yourself from outside of yourself. Theoretically, according to esoteric teachings, esoteric teachings do not come from ourselves. This is the beauty of them. When you find someone who is stuck in an esoteric teaching on the treadmill, Christianity is an esoteric teaching, but you will find a lot of Christians on a treadmill. They just repeat the same old thing. And they never really get it. They never really get it. It's like they're inoculated with Christianity. And you know that when you become inoculated, then you're immune to whatever it was you were inoculated for. People then become immune to the inner Christianity because they stay inoculated. They get inoculated by the outer Christianity and they stay on the treadmill. Same thing with the fourth way. It is no different, except that in the fourth way, you have certain people who become attached to and identified with the fourth way. And that's their inoculation. And as they become inoculated by the fourth way, then they never really enter into the house. They never get in the house. They just stand guard. They dig a moat around the house and keep all the people who don't belong in the house from crossing the threshold. There's only one way, is the way the Christians put it. There's only one way. You'll find that everybody says that same thing. There's only one way. And what that really means is there's only the way that I understand. There isn't any other way. There's only what I understand. And so everyone is limited to this understanding. So you either have to come up to this level of understanding to understand it to get in, or you have to abandon whatever you understand and understand this in order to get into the club house. So now the house we find is really a clubhouse. And that whole thing, from my perspective, it wouldn't hurt anybody on this planet, not really hurt them, to just let go of that whole thing, to let go of that whole clubhouse idea. The Christian clubhouse, the fourth-way clubhouse, the fifth-way clubhouse, the third-way clubhouse, the yoga clubhouse, the Jewish clubhouse, 
the Muslim clubhouse. Just let go of that whole clubhouse thing, the exclusivity of it. Esoteric teachings do not come from ourselves. Therefore, we cannot own them. So why bother identifying with them? Just get into them. Get into the house. Don't worry about where it is. Don't worry about how many stories it is. You can find all that out from inside the house. You don't have to stay on the outside and draw pictures of it or paint it or, or defend it. Covenant, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. I looked up covenant. comes from the Latin word that means convene. Convene means to cause to assemble for a common purpose. A covenant is something that causes people to assemble for a common purpose. We are assembled for a common purpose, to observe ourselves, to find out what we are not. That is the purpose of self-observation, to find out what you are not. Well, what good will that do? Well, let's stand outside the house and talk about what good it would do to go into the house. We'll talk about how many rooms may be in there. We'll talk about how it might be furnished. Let's talk about what the temperature might be in there, and if it varies from one room to another. We know that there are three fireplaces in there, or we suspect there are three fireplaces in there, because we can see three chimneys from the outside, three centers, so that we know there are three centers, three fireplace centers in that house. We can observe that from outside that house. So we can extrapolate and figure that if there's smoke coming from two of those chimneys, then perhaps there are two fireplaces that are actually in operation now. So we can estimate what the temperature might be by how much smoke, by the volume of smoke that's coming out. We may be able to estimate the temperature of the fire in the fireplace and therefore figure out what that's doing to the room in which that fireplace is. So if the room is this big, then the temperature could be anywhere from here to here. But if it's that much bigger, then the temperature is going to be lower because there'll be less heat for a bigger space. So we could figure all that stuff out. And if you do, you're going to be very good in the fourth way. You're going to, you're going to be very popular in the fourth way because you have a lot of people who are really interested in that stuff. And they're going to want to talk about that. And they're going to want to be a part of a conversation like that. And they're going to want to participate in something like that and put their opinion in too. And maybe get some of the importance that you have from figuring all that out. Maybe some of that importance will fall on them. And if they can prove within a couple degrees that their calculations are better than yours, they can actually be more important than you. If that's what you want to do, you are in the wrong place. Because that's not what I want to do. Because that's the letter of the law, and the letter kills. It's the spirit that gives life. And what I'm looking for is life, not a definition of life, not life's temperature. I'm not trying to take life's temperature. I want to enter into a full life, fully aware, fully saturated with life. I don't want to define it, stand outside of life and categorize it and define it and understand it. I want to live it, enjoy it, be in it like a fish in water, like a bird in the air. So we convene for a common purpose. Hopefully it's to enter life, to have life, to have it abundantly, to have more life or to be more aware of the, of the life, the abundant life that we already have. How many people have a life and aren't even using it. They're watching television. How many people have a life and they don't even know they have a life? They're not even conscious of what ability they might have to play a musical instrument, what ability they might have to paint, what ability they might have to do something that they've never tried because they're fixated on the fireplace or the temperature and they're not exploring the rest of the rooms to find out what's there and what they can do in those rooms. Non-conscious man is incapable of being taught direct conscious teaching. If you're not conscious, then you can't be taught direct conscious teachings. For that, we have something. We have sacred literature. 
the work called sacred literature, whatever kind of literature it is, it doesn't matter if it's Christian or Jewish or Muslim or Sufi or whatever, or Zoroastrianism, it doesn't matter, Buddhism, whatever it is, it calls it B influences. As the work says, there's A influences, B influences, and C influences. C influences comes from the conscious circle of humanity, it's direct conscious teaching which in our current state of non-conscious, we can't really be taught. We can't get it. So what we have is be influence. We have the sacred literature. We have the, the work literature. And we try to approach see influence through that. But eventually, what the work says, is that be influence doesn't lead to see influence. What happens is when it hits us, it degenerates to A influence. In other words, somebody will take something like the work or like the Bible or whatever, and rather than leave it behind and go inward or upward or be more expanded to see influence so that they can get it directly, what they tend to do is solidify it and take these stones and turn them into bread. In other words, take the hard truth, the hard facts of the truth, they take those stones and they turn it into bread. In other words, they go out and they peddle it and they sell it and then they eat from it and they stay there. Why should we leave this place? Look, we've got plenty of food. Why should we go to this other place that we don't know about where we can have this stuff directly? Why should we move to the bakery? Right here we're at the retail center. Why should we go to the bakery where it's all produced, where we can get it directly? And so they end up selling it. And you'll see that in seminars and churches and things like that where you go and you pay and they give you your daily dose of whatever it is. The story that I just read you, the story of the prodigal son. The mind that can think in yes and no terms isn't chained to opposites of is this true or is this not true. Non-conscious man is chained to opposites. Is this true or is this not true? Is it yes or is it no? Is it hot or is it cold? Is it black or is it white? Tell me, do you understand or do you not understand? Which is it? And non-conscious man is constantly trying to nail that down. He's constantly trying to get that right, to get the correct way. What is the right way to do this? Exactly what position should I be sitting in when I meditate? Exactly how should I be holding my hands? Exactly how straight should my spine be? Now tell me, should my eyes be open or closed? How should I be breathing? Is it okay to breathe through my mouth if I can't breathe through my nose? Well, what if one of my nostrils is plugged up and I can only breathe through one of my... Won't that imbalance me? Non-conscious man is always obsessed with that nonsense. It's missing the boat. It's standing on the outside of the house and looking at the house rather than going into the house and finding out what's in there and finding out what effect it will have on you to actually be in the house. Well, oh no, I have to know what, what the temperature is in the house. You know, I don't like it too hot, I don't like it too cold, and it's just right out here, so I don't think I should go in there. Fine, then don't go in. The literature points us inward to psychological space, a space that can be visited by the mind, the emotions, and the sensations, a world more real than physical space that's visited through the five senses. So now we're making a distinction between sense organs that can look inward and sense organs that can look outward. We know that we have organs in our head that allow us to look outward at the outer world and to bring images into the brain, and then the mind can do something with them. We know we have organs on our head where we can pick up sound vibrations from outside and we can translate them into something in the brain. We know that we have receptors in our nose that can sense vibrations as smells. We know that we have receptors in our 
fingertips and all over our body. Our bodies are covered with receptors so that we can sense the environment. We can sense the air, the temperature. We can sense whether something is touching us or not, whether it's too hot for us or too cold for us. And we know to get away from it or we can go nearer to it. So these senses all tell us these things. We know that we can take things, objects, from out here in the world and we can put them in our mouth and we can taste whether they are salty or bitter. What are the other ones? Sweet or sour. Those are the tastes that we can taste. Is that right? Those are the, the four tastes. Salty, bitter, sweet, sour. And then the, the nose, the, the smell can enhance those things so that it's kind of between taste and smell. We don't know really where one picks up and the other leaves off. So we have these senses and we know that we can have a whole rich experience of an outside world with these senses. But what esoteric teachings are telling us is, yes, that's fine. There's a big outside of the house. That's right. And there's a big landscape. And there are lots of houses in the neighborhood. It's a big world. It's a big universe. And you could get lost in it with your five senses. But what esoteric teachings are saying is, come inside the house. There's more inside than you can ever imagine. There's as much inside as you can see outside. And what is inside is what the house is for. The house is not built to live on the outside of it. The house is built to live on the inside of it. And we've gotten it all wrong living on the outside of it. If we will come in, we will find what we're really for, what the real purpose of the house is. If you will use the senses that look inside, you will find another world, a real world, a more real world, that is your purpose, where your destiny, where your fate where your purpose can be found. But I have a purpose out there. I'm a house painter. Well, I have a purpose out there. I, I repair roofs. Well, I have a purpose out there. I'm a landscaper. Yes, that's fine. That's wonderful. Now, if you want to find out what you're really for, apart from all that, come inside. That's what esoteric teachings are saying. And for the people who don't want to find out, then esoteric teachings say them fine. Stay outside. But for the people who want to find out, they say come in. And they all say the same thing. Come in. So the literature... All this literature points us inwardly to this psychological space. Where are you now in that country, inside of yourself? Back to this wonderful story that people look at the outside of it and say, oh yes, that's a wonderful story of the prodigal son, and let's, and let's take another look at it. The younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. Well, let's look at the distant country as something inside of us then. Have you ever gone on a journey into a distant country, inside of yourself, and there... He squandered his estate with loose living. And you just did any old thing you wanted to do. You just let go of all of the, the acquired rules and regulations that you'd gathered through life. You let them all go and you just did whatever you wanted to do. Even if something inside of you were saying, oh, this is not a good idea. And you did it anyway because you wanted to. Have you ever, I'm, the smiles on your faces tell me that you have been in that country. You have been in that country inside yourself. And some of you look like, You've done some things there that you look at and you go, oh yeah, I shouldn't have done that, but I did it. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. Isn't that always the way it goes? The minute you spend everything, the famine happened. The price of everything goes up. The price of gas goes up to five bucks a gallon. You know, the price of hamburgers goes up to $20 a hamburger. Everything goes crazy. And you don't have any money anyhow, so it could be four for a nickel. But it doesn't matter because you don't have any money. So here you are with this severe famine, but you've got to go to work to get some money. So you go to work. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. Okay, so what kind of citizens did you find in that country when you went and visited there? Well, you found citizens who were like you, didn't you? 
people who were engaged in loose living, people who maybe knew some of the rules, but they were ignoring them for now. So they were just doing whatever they wanted to do, or they were preying on those who were doing whatever they wanted to do. You'll find all kinds of people in that country. But he went and attached himself. What do, we, when we, what do we attach ourselves to? Do you ever attach yourself to some thought pattern, some attitude? You ever attach yourself to some feeling so that you can't tell the difference between you and it? Yeah, we do. We call that being identified, attaching ourselves to something. And he went and attached himself, and that citizen sent him into the fields to feed swine. This story is told by a Jewish man, and 2,000 years ago, the people he was talking to, swine were unclean animals. So the worst possible thing that could happen to a Jewish man would be to have to go and make himself unclean, tending unclean animals. That was just insult to injury. He's driving his point home. You go and you do all of this and you think it's going to be great and it turns out to be horrible and then it turns out to be worse than horrible and then it turns out to be you're just getting worse and worse every minute you're there. And then it says, and he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, well, what senses did he come to? Well, I guarantee you we're not talking about coming to your outer senses, your five senses. He was talking about coming to his inner senses. When he came to his inner senses, and this is something that can happen in life, and it's obviously happened to you or else you wouldn't be here. You came to your inner senses. You realized that where you were in this outer country wasn't all that fulfilling, and even though it promised you the world, it wasn't delivering. It promised you fame and fortune and wealth and love and all of these things, but it kept giving you disappointment and failure and hostility and anger and loss and upset. And that is when you came to your senses, your inner senses. And that's when you started looking for something else and you found esoteric teachings. That's another thing that this story is talking about. So I don't want to say that's what this story means, but it's one of the many meanings of this story. To think that we know the meaning of this story because of what we understand now, we can know a meaning of the story. We may be able to know many meanings of the story. We may be able to know many more meanings of the story that are now not open to us because our level of understanding prevents us from entering. We're too big as we are. You see, we have too many coats on. Because we have too many coats on, we can't fit through this little narrow passageway. But when we can fit through this narrow passageway, see, when we eat the mushroom that makes us very small, and we can fit through that smaller door, there's a whole world in there that we didn't know anything about because we couldn't get through there. You, you think Lewis Carroll was talking about an outside world? He wasn't. Alice in Wonderland is an allegory, just like this is an allegory. And it's talking about something that can't be talked about in an outer way, literally. It's talking about the spirit of something, not the letter of something. Literal means letter. It means by the letter. So the literal meaning kills, but the spiritual meaning, the esoteric meaning, the deeper psychological meaning, that gives life. Do you want life? Then follow the path of life. Do you want something else? Then follow that some other path. But if you want life, then follow the path that leads to life, which is the spiritual path, the psychological path, the allegorical path, the non-literal path. Anyway, the story goes on, and I've already read it, so you know the story and you can read it yourself. It's in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 20. This whole fourth way is about inwardness. When the work talks about centers, it's talking about this internal country. It's talking about psychological positions. There are psychological positions that we can live in, in this inner world in which we live. Esoteric teachings are telling you the outside world didn't create the inside world. The inside world 
manifested the outside world. That what is on the inside manifests what is outside. That what was inside was created and then it generated what is outside. Everything that you see comes from the formless into form. And then it leaves the world of form and returns to the formless. What is real is the formless. What is transitory, what is temporary, is the form. We see by looking around at the world that it's all temporary. You have a new car and it's not new anymore. You have a new this and it's not new anymore. You have a body. Joshua just walked into the room. I remember when Steve and Tammy didn't have any children. They just had Steve and Tammy. And then Tammy got pregnant with Joshua. And Joshua still wasn't. But then one day Tammy gave birth to Joshua. And then Joshua was this little boy. He was a little infant that couldn't do anything for himself. And he didn't have the hair he has now. And he wasn't as tall as he is now. As a matter of fact, you look at Joshua now and you look at and you stand him next to Tammy and say, that came out of that? I don't get it. How did that happen? Well, it was different when it came out. That's, that's all you can say. It was different. And then it grew. And then it began to mature. And now it is maturing. And then it will die. And Joshua will be no more. And that's how that will go. I guarantee it. That's one thing I can tell you for sure. That will happen. Because anything that takes form is going to return to where it came from, to the formless. Nicodemus said to Jesus, well, well what, what do you mean be born again? What, what, how can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? It's like, no, you're talking, about, you're, you're talking about the outside world. I'm talking about a different world. You're a teacher of Israel, and you don't understand what I'm talking about when I talk about outer things, and you, you can't even understand that. How are you ever going to understand these other things? Let that go. You have to use these other senses. You can't constantly be depending on your five senses. You've got to turn inward to this inward world, and you've got to be able to look inwardly. You've got to be able to see things differently. That's what this work is about. That's what this story is about. That's what all esoteric teaching is about. That's what all be-influenced literature is about, all sacred literature is about. It's all about the same thing. It's just saying it in different languages, in different epics, in different cultures, in different times, but it's always pointing to the same thing. Why people fight over it is because they get into the outer world of senses where they can only see differences and they can't see the similarities. But when you start to look within, through the inner senses, you start to see the similarities, you don't have need for the differences anymore. You see things where they are connected, not where they are disconnected. And when you see where something is connected, then you look at that. Why bother looking at it where it's disconnected in the outer world of form that's just temporary anyway? All of these centers are constructs for the mind that is third force blind. What does third force blind mean? It means that it doesn't see the neutralizing force that changes life from the pain factory to your teacher. There's a force that changes life as a pain factory of not getting what you want, of everything dying, of everything falling apart, of everything being horrible, or a lot of things being horrible, or whatever is pleasurable now is not pleasurable when it's gone, or you cling to it now and then when it's gone then you suffer. So the pain factory of life can be changed with this third force. The third force is the neutralizing force. The force that life is using now is that we are here for life's purpose. Get what you can, grab it while you can get it, eat as much as you can, have as much sex as you can, get as much money as you can, have as much fun as you can, get as many toys as you can, and then when you die, you will have lived a full life and you'll be happy. And then go to the cemetery and visit all the happy people. You know, and then look at all the, look at all the people who are so happy with all their stuff. Look at how happy you are with all your stuff until somebody steals it or until you have to pay somebody to guard it or until you... You know, the economy collapses and all your stuff is worth one cent on a dollar. <laughs> then all of a sudden it's not so much fun.
The third force that we are blind to is that force that means that life is either a pain factory or our teacher that can develop us in another way. So for the mind that is third force blind, we have the centers, we have the stories. When we ask ourselves, where am I? We can only become conscious of inner space through self-observation. You've got to ask yourself, where am I? But it's not in an outer way. You're here in this room, just in case you were wondering. And there's an address. Yes, there's an address to this place, right? Yeah, this house actually has an address. So you could say, well, here I am. But where are you internally? Because that determines more of what is happening out here than your address. Because, and how I know that is, is that this person is sound asleep, this person is wide awake, this person is thoughtful, this person is melancholy, this person is excited and joyful, this person is having an aha moment, this person is, is in agreement, this person is saying, I don't understand. So they're all in the same address, but they all have a different experience. Why is that? Because internally they are in a different place. They are in a distant country or a near country or a far country or this kind of country or a negative country or a positive country or a receptive country or a knowing country or a resistant country. And when they are there, they are attaching themselves to the citizens of those countries, to the thoughts and the feelings that you find in that state of mind. And when you're attaching yourself to the thoughts and the feelings that you find in that state of mind, you belong there. And if you don't want to be there, stop attaching yourself to the citizens of that country. If you're in a negative state and you don't want to be in the negative state, stop attaching yourself to the citizens of the negative state. Who did this kid attach himself to? Well, he was out there feeding the pigs. And then he said, wait a second. The men that my father hires eat better than I do. I'll go back to my father and say, look, just hire me. I don't even have to be your son anymore. Just hire me as one of your workers. He was willing to attach himself to something in another state. When he decided, when he came to his senses, his inner senses, and decided, I could be in another state. I don't have to be in this state. I don't have to be. I have the right not to be negative. I have the right not to be starving to death. I have the right not to be here attaching myself to these citizens of this state and these pigs. I have the right to go and, and hire myself out and serve something else in a different state, in a better state. And so off he goes. And while he's yet on the way, he's still weak with hunger. His father goes out to him and aids him in getting back into the state, a better state, his birthright. The state is his birthright. That state of freedom, that state of service is his birthright. He's willing to go back and serve now. Where before he took it all for granted. This is all owed to me. Give me what's mine. Give me what's owed to me. Do you see that he was already in the wrong state? He had already attached himself to citizens of, of a distant country, of loose living. Give me what's mine. He had no servant's heart. He was in the wrong state. He was in the wrong country. And as water seeks its own level, he would seek his own level. And when he finally hit bottom, he said, wait a second, <laughs> this is crazy. I don't have to be doing this. I could be a servant in my father's house and live better than this. But he was an heir and he lived poorly. But then when he was living poorly, he said, I could be a servant and live well. That doesn't work from outside, you see, but it does work in our internal kingdom. And this is what this work is about. This is what it's teaching. This is what it's trying to get us to see. This is where it's getting, it's, it's, it's tempting to point us in this direction so that we can see this. The distant country from the parable is in the work, the negative part of the emotional center, where there is a severe famine. Well, severe famine of what? Of the kinds of impressions that develop us. He's ready to eat the pods that he's feeding the swine. There's nothing to eat in this country. 
He's starving to death. He's not able to develop. He's going down instead of up. He's not expanding. He's contracting more and more with fewer and fewer impressions that can feed his inner man, his inner nature, that can develop him, his real self, not this squandering, stupid, false self that just wanted to go and live loosely, attached to the citizen, identifying with negative thoughts, feelings, attitudes, feeding from the lowest impressions possible. When we identify, we consent. When you identify, you consent to what you are identifying with. We end up in internal ghettos, stumbling around without internal direction or understanding. We end up looking for the restaurant and finding the dump. But by the time we got there, we're out of gas, and if we don't get something at the dump, we're not going to get anything at all, and we're probably not going to make it. So we get out there and start digging through the garbage. And those are the kinds of, those are the quality of impressions that we have in those negative states. What kind of impressions do you have in negative states? Negative ones, very good. That's right. The kind of impressions you get when you're in a negative state are negative impressions. Because any impression, no matter how high and lofty, by the time it gets into the negative state, it is reduced to a negative impression. It's reduced to the pods that the swine are eating. You don't understand that walking around in unsavory internal places will end up getting what's there. If you go to a bad part of town, even in the outside world, if you go to a bad part of town at night, you're running a big risk. If you're wearing a Rolex, a gold Rolex, you're asking for trouble. You know, it was, it'd be fine if somebody just came along and said, may I have your Rolex, please? Uh, you're in a really bad part of town, and, and we're going to take your Rolex if you don't just give it to us. How many people are smart enough when they, when they dwell in a bad state to say, oh, sure, here you go, and they take their Rolex off and give it to them? Say, enjoy it, guys. doesn't keep that great time, but it's pretty. Enjoy it, guys. They don't do that You got because they're afraid. They're afraid they're going to lose what they're clinging to. They're afraid they're going to lose what's theirs. And, of course, they end up losing their lives many, many times because they resist. Here, yeah, take the Rolex. Anything else you want? Credit card, sure. Have all you want. Yeah, take the cash. Take anything you want. Look, guys, have a good time. Just leave me alone. I'm okay with that. But people don't do that, do they? They resist. They fight. They struggle. They say no, and they get in trouble. So, first of all, don't go to those bad parts of town wearing your Rolex. And you're not going to have that trouble. When you do get in those bad parts of town, what do you do? Well, don't fight with the citizens of that country. Get out of there just as fast as you can and pay whatever it costs to get out. You get in there, pay whatever it costs. If it costs you your Rolex, pay your Rolex. Here you go. Take it. I don't really need to keep time here anyway. I don't really want to be here anyway. I don't care what time it is. Just let me out of here. Outer life reflects our inner life. Another way of saying this, the work says this, is your being attracts your life. Your outer life was attracted to you by your being. In other words, by the states that you frequent. You frequent this neighborhood, that's what you're going to have in your life. You frequent this neighborhood, that's what it's going to manifest in an outside way. That's what that's saying. It's trying to get us to see that. Inner sincerity is key. Pretending not to walk in squalor and the dark inner city won't change anything. Pretending not to be negative, that doesn't change anything. You're still feeding on the, the pods that they feed the swine. You're still feeding on that. The quality of your impressions is still going to be the same no matter what you're pretending that you're eating. You ever see these guys who 
cartoons and they would have this hobo back when hobos were before your time homeless people were hobos and you'd have this hobo and he'd have like a bean they'd find a can you know and it had one bean in it they'd take the bean and, and a knife and a fork and cut it you know and put it on a plate and they'd and the, and the guy would pick it up and he would eat his part of the bean oh it's delicious yes and, and then you, you you have another one they'd get a sandwich and he'd hold his pinky up you know while he ate this, pretending to be something that he wasn't, pretending that he wasn't a hobo, you know, that he wasn't dressed in rags. And he'd pretend that he was having this great meal. And the truth was he was eating a bean or this crust of sandwich or whatever, whatever had been left here or there. He'd go and he'd pick up a cigar butt out of the, and he'd take a toothpick and stick it through it and then light it, you know, so he didn't burn his lips and, and smoke it that way so he didn't burn his fingers and, and pretend that he was smoking this great cigar, pretend that he was somebody. And this is what we do, and inner sincerity is needed. Look, if you're in a bad state, then you've got to be truthful and honest, sincere and genuine about it. Accept where you are, stop resisting it, and from that place of non-resistance, you will know, it will come to you, it will rise in your being, the knowledge, the knowingness of how to get out of there. By not resisting, you will attach yourself to citizens of another state, of another country, and you will raise yourself up out of that, or you will be raised up out of that by the father who then comes for the son, who meets him while he's still a long way off. If we come to our senses in a nasty place, we don't have to figure out how we got there. This is one of the big problems that people fall into. They try and figure out how they got there. Well, how did this ever happen to me? I don't understand this. Blah, blah, blah. Forget about it. Who cares how you got there? That's not important. What's important now is getting out of it. If it's not where you want to be, then the next step that you need to take is toward getting out. Not to figure out how you got there. Not to backtrack. The way out may be a lot closer than the way you came in. Don't try and go out the way you came in. Don't backtrack through hell to try and find the door that got you in. All you need is the exit door, not the entry door. So don't bother with that nonsense. Or do if you want to. We have to get out through valuation. That's the only way you ever really get out. The exit door is always valuation. The entrance door is always taking things for granted, loose living, taking everything for granted. That's really loose living. Taking things for granted. Just allowing life to go by loosely. And not being there in it. Being present for what is happening. Being saturated by the moment. Valuation. How many of my father's ha hired hands have more than enough to eat? That's valuation. When you're hungry, what do you value? Food. And that's when you come to your senses. When you realize you're hungry. Now, there are a lot of people in life, they know that something's wrong, but they don't know what they're hungry for. They don't know what's going to fill them. So they keep on trying the other stuff that they've always tried. And it doesn't work, and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work, and they go on being perpetually hungry. And they get more and more intense in their desire to get, 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 but it still doesn't satisfy them. So they stay hungry. But when you value what can actually satisfy your hunger, then you've got right valuation. That's the door out. Work, esoteric teaching, is your father. What is of value? Well, for me, it is this work. For me, it is this story. For me, it is this book. For me, it is the psychological commentaries. For me, it is the Tao Te Ching. For me, it is uh, the Bhagavad Gita. For me, it is the sacred writings. For me, what is valuable is what can lead me to the inner world where I can straighten out my own self by getting my own self in the right country or into a better state, a better country. 
I don't know what it is for you, but that's what it is for me. Value it, and you can get out of whatever state you're in unharmed. It takes a little patience sometimes. Sometimes you have to sit in the state you're in, kind of do your time there. But you can come out unharmed if you don't resist. If you resist, all bets are off. You'll end up being harmed. But if you don't resist, if you surrender to it, and you're patient and you wait, you will get out. Don't buy a house in a bad neighborhood. I don't care if you can afford it. Don't buy a house in a bad neighborhood. Be patient and wait until you can afford a better house in a better neighborhood or a worse house in a better neighborhood. A worse house in a better neighborhood is better than a great house in a crappy neighborhood. So remember, we're talking about inner states here. I'm not giving you real estate advice. <laughs> wait for something better. You don't have to do anything. Wait for something better. Don't say yes to your bad states. Because the internal world exists, you can be a part of it where someone else has been. Let me put it to you this way. Once Steve said, somebody else can't have your experience. And he used as an example that he tried to share something with his brother and his brother just could not understand it, couldn't get it. And so Steve drew from that that somebody else can't have your experience. I said, okay. And I agree. Somebody else can't have your experience if they can't get into that state. But if they can get into that state, they can have their own experience and it will be like the experience that everyone has in that state. Why we are together is because we can share our experiences, because we can share these states. This is the covenant. This is why we've convened with a common purpose. And our convention, our convening together with a common purpose, is to share these better states, to become familiar with these better states, to map these better states, so that people who come after us and people who are right here with us can find them better, can find their way in them better, and we can find our way into yet better states. This is our purpose. These states can be shared. The same experiences point to the same states. When someone is in a certain state, you will know by the experiences that they're having. Can you, have you ever shared a negative state with someone? <laughs> then you've shared negative experiences with someone. Well, it's the same for, for these other states. You can share better experiences with people in better states. They can be shared. So here's my advice. Share the best and forget the rest. The linchpin of this work is the practical application of the ideas shared in the podcasts. If you'll go to solidrockvista.com, to the thoughts page, I've written a number of articles that will help you to practice the principles that we're sharing with you in the podcasts.